Uh, are you ready? I have my coffee. So I'm jacked. I had the stupidest coffee this morning. Mm, did you? Get, but so you didn't get it from Intelligentsia. That's fair. Get it? I went to G and H. They have a whole different vernacular around coffee. They can't just well, you know stick by the standard. Let's be fair. Starbucks started that a little while ago, and that's bullshit too. Mm-hmm. You sound a little stressed out. Are you sure you had coffee? Well, that's I don't even know what the hell I had because I was like, can I get whatever an americano is? Yeah. And then I got something in some glass ass carafe. Right? Glass oh, wait, that's carafe. practical. A hot cup of coffee and a carafe, that's, that'll burn your fingers. You know, so you know what you do then? Mm. Well, no. Yeah. Then you get a denim scarf for your glass carafe. Wow. And then you serve someone a glass, a hot glass carafe with a denim scarf. You don't know what it is. Nope. Probably an Americano. Could be coffee. I don't think you were going to a cafe. I think that was an art installation. Yeah. Let's start recording Speakeasy. We're recording it. Are we recording it? Yes. This is Speakeasy number who knows how many, and this is a special bonus podcast-only episode where we play you some stuff that we haven't had on the show before, yes. and we talk about it and other stuff, yes. and then we speak off the cuff, a.k.a. Yes. we speak easily about yes. it. Except that part wasn't off the cuff. We've said no. that before. Yeah, that part but is pretty boilerplate. We're also doing this because it's a rerun this week because we traveled to Phoenix, Arizona. Broadcast listeners are hearing reruns. You guys are getting this wonderful thing. That's, yeah, so you that's why. But this is why this isn't a classic show is because we were in Arizona mm-hmm. at the Arizona Biltmore. That's right. We were in town to uh, do an appearance for the radio station KJZZ there, and we stayed at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel that Informed night. by Frank Lloyd Wright, like made by Frank Lloyd Wright's disciple. Yes, they they kept saying it was Frank Lloyd Wright inspired hotel. Yeah, which is like Frank Lloyd Wright inspired my breakfast. Like I don't know, like <laughs> anyone can say that. Uh, what would a Frank Lloyd Wright inspired breakfast be? It would have a Native American pattern on the waffles. It was thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> yep, and it would collapse when you put syrup on it. So we were there, and it was fun, and everyone was kind. And so we're doing this show. And we have some clips from people we've talked to in the past and that people we're going to talk to in the future with some great gems that we couldn't share on the radio because the stories were a little salty or just a little, you know. Well, we just didn't have the time. Sometimes it's, like, very difficult when you're doing a broadcast. I know, but I was trying so to get time. the people excited about the fact that there's, like, some adult themes emerging. We will have a drug reference later. That's an adult theme. And uh, we're going to talk about a riot. By the way, all you Depeche Mode fans, we're going to end the show with a little bit of Depeche Mode. So we got that coming up, but before that... Uh, we had Margaret Cho on the other week. She gave etiquette advice. And it turned out she and I had both been in Cape Cod this summer, to Provincetown in particular. And we're like, that's cool. And we were bonding over how nice Cape Cod is. And But then she told us this pretty cool little story. About what she does on her summer vacation. So here it is. It's like trying to find a hatchet killer's grave. There was a 70s um, serial killer on Provincetown. He was called Tony Chop Chop. And he, Tony Costa, Chop Chop. And his nickname was Chop Chop. And he would chop them up and I guess pile so. them up in the Truro Cemetery. Oh, wow. But he's secretly buried in the Provincetown Cemetery, which is very old cemetery. It's yeah, got the yeah. pilgrims. So <laughs> and his, Chop Chop? Yeah, and Chop Chop. But he's because his family was old, old Provincetown people. So they had a, mm. a plot. So they put him in there, so I tried to find it, and I did. I found it. You found Chop Chop? I found Chop Chop. I'm also buying a plot there. I'm buying a plot because my friend has a plot next to Norman Mailer, so I'm getting a plot <laughs> next to theirs. So he and his <laughs> husband have a plot there, and then the, the one next to is 500. 
So I and it's that's pretty good for the rest of eternity. Five hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. And that's be, it to be yeah. buried in next in, to Norman Mailer. Yeah. Wow. Is there a reason? Do you just kind of want to be a feminist buried next to like the biggest <laughs> chauvinist pig of all time? Of course. No, but it, it has more to do with like the community of Provincetown because it's yeah, like, it's it welcomes, Provincetown adjacent. Yeah, it welcomes all. Uh, all comers, all Apparently. all walks of life. Yeah, from chop yes. chop to chop Cho. chop Cho. <laughs> Anyone with CH. Baylor. There you go, Margaret Cho talking about her future burial ground. No, I love it. I love the idea of people going <laughs> to make a pilgrimage to Norman Mailer's grave, like some kid from Wesleyan. Like I'm going to go visit Mailer, and, and then, then he sees <laughs> Margaret Cho's grave <laughs> right next to it. Or vice versa. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's kind of like in uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame always has interesting juxtapositions of stars. Uh, it was pointed out to me at one point that like Eddie Murphy and W.C. Fields are right next to each other. It's oh. like the two poles well, of comedy. They're next to each of. other in my heart. Yeah. You know, uh, when she was talking about that, I th- you know, $500 is crazy cheap for eternity when you think about how that will maybe cover dinner in Uber, like, yeah. in Manhattan on Saturday. I'm just thinking I could see maybe a Bosom Buddies comedy where people can't afford rent in a neighborhood, so they buy cemetery plots. <laughs> I think that's what we're getting to. And they win the legal battle, like, to actually live and squat on that little area. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to work. Maybe it's an animated show. Yeah, I think that's what we're getting to actually, in most cities in aren't America. We, are we going to play the clip of the guy with the crazy imagination who oh, actually could make a movie like that or are we going to make the food no, no let's do this okay this is uh we're going to play you a clip now of my interview with flying lotus people may know him as a musician he does amazing sort of like techno jazz mashups he's just an amazing musician and did a movie that i don't think anybody would have expected from that same guy it was called kuso and it has been hailed and slash demeaned by critics as the most disgusting film ever made. It is full of body horror, mm. and we'll just leave it at that. Mm. And when I spoke to Flying Lotus, he, he uh, told me something that may explain how it got so over the top. Uh, we were talking about his directorial style, and then he told me this. Let's hear it. And actually, once mm. I started smoking pot on set, I started... <laughs> be way more clear-headed about everything uh, believe it or not i was terrified right in in the initial in the initial bits of like making the movie i was so scared to smoke like during i was like wait sure. no, just maybe no no pot no pot i i don't want to forget anything i don't want to like forget this shot that i wrote down in my <laughs> shot list i don't want to forget it there are people who can't get through making a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> when they're under the influence but that's my reality right that's like my day-to-day like so for me to like not smoke during making a movie is huge. It was huge. But by the time I got to the end, I was getting so fucking high and having a great time. It was like it definitely helped me to get out of my my like whatever like I think it's supposed to be a certain sure. way. This is the composition I had in my head. I was like, fuck that. Okay, maybe it doesn't need to be like that. This is stiff now. It's getting stale. So you're over here now and you're back there. You know? Yeah, sure. Let's yeah, see what happens. Better. Yeah. This is gonna be a new technique in film school. Yeah, when get you high. Become a professor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the uh, actors appreciated that shifting perspective each day. Actually, if you watch it, I'm pretty sure the actors were perhaps partaking, at least in certain scenes. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite blind items from a few years ago, um, Gawker, the website. Yeah. Uh, they used to do like blind gossip items, uh, okay. like who said this, and then the audience would guess who said something. <laughs> who said but, but they were based on like true, yeah. rum- true rumors, rumors on TMZ or something. And one of them was... Which Hollywood actor, after being caught smoking pot on set by the director of his new film, looked at that director and said, I've been high in every single movie you've ever seen me in, and I've done fine. 
I remember. Yeah. I remember this. I'm trying to. And then people were submitting names, and the one, the people that submitted the, the name oh. that came out on top was Harrison Ford. Oh yeah, yeah. Han Solo. I can you imagine being a young director and you catch him and you're like, "Hey, I need you, you know, good to go." And he's like, "I played Han Solo, <laughs> stoned." Yeah. So leave me the hell alone. Although I do want to say, people should go and listen to that interview with Flying Lotus. He was, despite that quote, he was absolutely totally on his game, really sweet guy, um, surprisingly given the nature of his movie. Not that surprising. He's in, his music is very, it's has true, a broad but, emotional spectrum. But the movie is like, it's yeah. not only disgusting, there's also kind of gutter humor, as well as some moments of true yeah. beauty. But it's like, it could have gone any way. And listen to the interview. It's interesting. All right. But before you do that, um, we wanted to make a little food recommendation because we're food people. Mm. By the way, we have a food book coming out, sort of. Oh, yes. Let's hype the book. You don't say that to them. They'll appreciate our honesty. If they're still listening. But it's called (laughs) Brunch is Hell, How Dinner Parties Can Save the World. How to Save the World Through Dinner Parties. Yeah. I keep forgetting the second part. How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party. Can you tell our editor named the second half of the book? (laughs) Yes. All you need to remember is Brunch is Hell. Brunch is Hell, and it is a call to arms against brunch, which shouldn't be a surprise for long-time listeners, um, and a how-to guide for fighting back the dinner party. That's right. It was a pleasure to make, a lot of work. It's a romp. Yes, it's very um, funny. And as I think well it's going to make the world heart. a better place. There, There is heart in it. There is everything in there from uh, how to have a political conversation with people that you may not agree with to how to decide who gets the last piece of food on a plate. I think it just encourages people to entertain, have conversations, and to kind of enjoy what we call recess for adults, that one moment of the day where you're not being pulled Hither and yon. Uh, yes, or thither. And if you pre-order it, it's cheaper. And then apparently when the week the week the book comes out, it's like bursts. Like, oh my God, 10,000 people rushed to stores and bought the book when really, no, they just pre-ordered it on Over Amazon. the course of months. So we'll wait. Hold on. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Let's Google just be quiet that. while you guys Brunch go. Brunch as hell. Amazon or wherever. Put in your credit card number. and uh, here's Re- We'll give you Rico's credit card number to buy it. No, we're not. No. All then, right. That's it. Okay. <laughs> you so did now it. back to our show. Um, Yancey Ford was on recently. He is the director of a new documentary called Strong Island. Very it's serious pretty, film. Pretty heavy stuff. It's a story about the killing of his brother. I encourage you to go listen to that interview. It's a, it's a, despite being about a heavy topic, it's engaging. Yeah. One of my regrets in putting the interview together was that Yancey really had a sense of humor and some verve. Yeah, despite that, the subject matter. Yeah, but I, we were talking in the editorial room like, oh, I wish we could include some a piece of the conversation we had that was a little lighter, but there just wasn't any space for it. So this is what Speakeasy is about. They yeah. kind of give you a fuller perspective of some of the guests. Uh, and this also is great, too, because there's a food recommendation. This is news you can use. I live in New York. Yancey's from New York. He told us that he had the information on the best Mexican food in America, yeah. definitely in New York. We're going to share it with you. This is your reward for listening to us. I think the best Mexican food is in Queens, and I can tell you where to get a really amazing, uh, like, authentic Mexican meal. If you swear, you will never tell anybody else, especially in your podcast. Yeah, no one will ever hear. We only broadcast on 200 stations around the country, so. Mm, All right, I I promise. You know what? We'll bleep it. But I would like yes. to know because I love food and I live in Greenpoint, not far from Queens. So tell me, tell uh, me this, tell me your spot. It's on Junction Boulevard. Okay. Um, just at the, just at the. Okay, and that's so, your spot. That for that's delicious my tacos. Spot. Okay. Oh my God! Unbelievably delicious. And in Long Island City, there's a food truck. Uh, it's called. Uh huh. Amazing. 
All just right. Eat them, just order and stand eat, and eat them right there. There you go. There ladies you and have it. If you speak bleep, you know where the joint is. Um, you're already on your way. You know, do I feel a little bad for betraying Yancey? Maybe. Yeah. But you're our audience. Yeah. You, you know, he should know that you yeah. come you guys, first. So you, there know, you go. I once read in The Ethicist in the New York Times that if you tell a secret to someone, you should assume that that person is going to tell it to their spouse. And you guys are kind of like our podcast spouses. Well, you're because we don't have other kinds. Yeah. If that makes you uncomfortable, it should. Okay, hey, we have an advertisement we're putting right here. Yes, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with some Depeche Mode for all you Depeche Mode fans right after this. If Speakeasy had a theme song, it would go right here. Oh, no, I was hoping this wasn't going to happen. No, all right. No. Sorry. That's Kai Rizal's guitar. He tunes it really oddly. <laughs> There's just a guitar sitting in our studio here, and we just put it to bad use. So welcome back to Speakeasy. Thanks for sticking around. Margaret Cho, Flying Lotus, Yancey Ford, lots of great people on the show this week, but uh, we here, saved the best for last. Here comes the megastars. Not the best, but also great thing for last. The yeah. musical segment for last. This is Rico's baby, so Rico, deliver your baby. Uh, <laughs> weird. Uh, this is uh, my forthcoming interview. This is kind of a preview for all you folks. We're going to be hearing uh, a little bit later in the month from Depeche Mode. Many of you probably have heard Depeche Mode's music, but just in case you haven't, here's an example. doesn't sound like the kind of music that one might riot It takes me to. back in time, I'll tell you that. Reminds me of Emily Kaiser. Yeah, but probably not. But probably not of cops and of like thousands of kids rampaging through the streets. And yet, back in 1990, Depeche Mode was visiting Los Angeles for a album signing. And they expected a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people to show up. 20,000 plus people showed up. When Depeche Mode arrived, it became clear everybody wasn't going to get to meet them and get their autograph taken. Mm. They got a little unruly. The cops came in. Apparently, there was maybe some baton swinging. There were some injuries. And uh, obviously, when Depeche Mode came and visited us in L.A. and I spoke to them, I had to ask them about this bizarre moment in their history. You know, we took it in our stride. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. I've seen news reports of that. And you're being ushered into a car looking pretty dazed. We were so happy that we didn't have to sign 20,000 autographs. (laughs) And then we went back to the hotel and then suddenly the news came on about people, the injured, going to the hospital and stuff. And then yeah. the mood went pretty bad. Ironically, I think that that was the thing that kind of like tipped us over the edge into uh, the mainstream in America. Suddenly we were all over the news. You know, it was like nationwide mm. news here. People who had never heard of us before were probably thinking, oh, they must be quite good. I might go and buy their album. <laughs> yeah, if kids are willing to <laughs> rampage in the tens of thousands, yeah. I, maybe I should check these guys out. I, honestly, I think that that was one of the big turning points for us in America. There wow. you go. People have been really surprised had they gone and listened to Depeche Mode after seeing riots on TV and that's what they heard. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Really? It's pretty, uh... What is wrong with children today? What kind of drugs do you have to be on 
Do people, yeah, riot on ecstasy? I guess we have our answer. I will say, though, go to YouTube and type in Depeche Mode Riots. There are a lot of newscasts from that evening, and it's really funny watching them devolve over the night. At first, it's like reporters, they're going, can you believe these kids? (laughs) By the end of the night, they're like, oh, my God, there are like helicopters circling. That's a great thing to do after you pre-order our book. Um, that's Runch it. Hell. <laughs> Wherever you can get your books, <laughs> this pre-order has been it. Speakeasy. Uh, we got a whole beautiful brand new show coming at you next week. Oh, um, with Sterling Brown, with Sterling Brown, really Emmy, the Emmy, Emmy winner. winner. The people helping us make that show and the people that help us make this show are the same. Uh, Jackson Musker is our senior producer. Mm. Uh, Crystal Ripple and James Kim are our associate producers. Christina Lopez is our associate digital producer. Emerald Douglas is our intern. Engineering today was provided by Drew Jostad. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to the people in Phoenix for having us. We'll see you next week. Brunch as hell. Pre-order now. (laughs) 